grace is amazing. Amen. And uh, great to see each and every one of you again. We have a guest speaker this morning, and Brother Mike Lester uh, has been at West Coast Baptist College for the past 26 years and has taught there in their Bible department and uh, has an earned doctorate in theology. Um, um, also, uh, really spearheaded the, the college, West Coast Baptist College, uh, becoming accredited. And that's a huge process. We did it here in our Christian school. And it's like a six-year process in a high school uh, for a school to be accredited. And uh, he spearheaded that. It was uh, a lot of work, but got the college there accredited along with other people helped him, but it was a big, big job. Now, Brother Lester wife, Jenny, was in my youth group, and we went on a, 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 a trip, a college trip, from Michigan down south, and uh, I always timed that right in the cold part of the, of the year. It was a selfish trip, to be honest with you. As the youth pastor, I could get out. We went to Tennessee, North Carolina, then down to Pensacola, Florida. Uh, where the palm trees grow, amen. I, if, I just love palm trees. You can tell that by the church here. But uh, so they, at that point, Crown College didn't even exist. It was They were going to build it. And so we went to Tennessee. Mark Rasmussen was uh, going to start this college. And so Jenny said, you know, this is where God's leading me to go to school, to college, where there's no building yet. But that was a big choice, big decision, because she went there to college and met Mike. And I'll never forget when Mike came up to Michigan to meet, you know, before they got married. And I got to tell you, church, he wasn't my first choice for Jenny. He wasn't. And there was nobody else yet. He was just, it wasn't my first choice. I mean, we played basketball together, and I said, ooh, you know, he's a little slow. I mean, he's... And, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he's like brilliant. And I hate him now because he's brilliant, you know? <laughs> he's smarter than me. You know, he was at this big college. When I would call him, he, you know, he has a secretary, then another secretary. You know, it, it was like calling the president to get a, get a hold of him. And he'd say, just tell him to wait. I'd say, you don't tell me to wait. You know who I am? I was there when you got married. But God has just used him, and uh, now he's, they're leaving uh, California, going back to Michigan. Don't know quite yet what they're going to do as far as ministry. But he's a college professor, and uh, God has already, he's already has several offers to go teach at different colleges. But I'm just thankful for his love for the Lord, his love for the Word of God, and he studied it, he knows it, but he keeps it simple. And uh, he's, he's a very smart uh, individual, but he keeps the Bible simple and teaches it, and God has used him greatly. God has great things in store. So the first service, I said, my daughter, my daughter Joanna was in their wedding. And so that's not true. This is like how many years ago now? 26 years ago, I forgot. My daughter, Joanna, was not in their wedding. Their daughter, Megan, was in Mike and Joanna's wedding. So I'm standing over here this morning. I said, 
who was in your wedding? Was it, was it Joanna? And he said, I think it was Laura. Well, he doesn't even know. Neither one of them were in the wedding. <laughs> Laura told me that between services. We weren't in your wedding. No, Megan was in Mike and Joanna's wedding. And then Ashlyn, their daughter, was in their, their oldest Megan's wedding last summer. So we're all confused. He's confused, I'm confused. Thank the Lord, he knows the Bible. Amen? And uh, we're so thankful for him. You pray for them as they, as they move uh, from California back to Michigan, just as God leads them in the future. But as in the ministry, you always want your people to go on, and especially as a youth pastor, and live for God. Because you know there's a lot of pull on young people today. Keep them from living for God. And I'm just thankful for Jenny and Mike. So I was just sitting at home this morning just crying like a baby. Even though we, never, we didn't get to see him that much. I had, you know, I had to go through 12 people to get to him. He lived you know, not far from us. And so we're going to miss him. Though we never did get to see him. Because he was too busy. I'll call you in two weeks. You know, okay. Thank you. But... Um, um, we did get to see them. Their parents, the Turners, are just dear friends. And uh, so it's like family moving away. So it's been kind of a rough day. I've shed some tears this morning. And uh, not because of you, because of Jenny. And No, I'm kidding. These are dear people. You come and preach for us. God bless you. I, that was a great introduction. Better. I was more serious this morning. Uh, I don't want him to, I got to keep him humble. That's my job, keeping great men humble. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I may not know who was in my wedding, but I know I'm married, all right? I'm just going to leave it at that, and uh, I'll let my wife fill in all the details. Uh, good to be here this morning. Thank you for being here. We had a great first service this morning, and I'm excited about uh, the opportunity to share with you this morning as well. <clears throat> I appreciate your pastor. I appreciate what God, God has done here over the last 17 or 18 years, and uh, just the stories of people being saved and uh, seeing the campus developed and uh, reaching the community, and uh, sure, a lot of great memories. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Pastor Rich doesn't always tell the whole story. I don't know if you know that or not. It's selective in what he remembers. And uh, so at the wedding he was talking about, we have a video of uh, our, our wedding that uh, Pastor Rich helped uh, put together for us. And uh, on that video, we're watching when we get back from our honeymoon, we're going to watch this video. And uh, there's Pastor Rich interviewing different people, and that's nice. And then they turn the camera around, and he's being interviewed. Tell me, tell me how, you, how you know Mike, and here's, what he, here's how he begins the story. You know, when I first met Mike, he was homeless. He lived in a shelter. Uh, he, he wasn't clean, uh, and I, I shared the gospel with him, and Mike got gloriously saved and led him to Christ. He cleaned him up and sent him off to Bible college, and, and none of that was true. <laughs> but he was just having a great time embellishing the story that he made up on the spot, but he sounded convincing. And uh, so a lot of fun memories there. I sometimes remember the basketball stories a little differently. I don't remember me being the slow one, but that's all right. It's all, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Take your Bibles. Let's go to Hebrews chapter number four. Hebrews chapter number four. We have a lot of friends here at this church, a lot of memories. Uh, I was watching this morning as uh, your front line was singing, and Brittany was up there. And Brittany was in my sixth grade class 26 years ago. So I leaned over to Brother Mike, and I said, Mike, I, I, Brittany was in my, my sixth grade. He said, I, I forgot you taught elementary for a little bit. How long did you teach it? I said, one year. <laughs> so that, it was her class, and then it was time to either quit or go to college. And so uh, we moved up with them. Fun, fun memories, and good to see so many other people as well. 
Hebrews chapter 4 is where I'm going to be at in just a few moments, but I want to give you a little bit of a background before we get started. I love the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, <clears throat> frankly, for a long time, it scared me. It was right up there with the book of Revelation, you know, like, I don't know if I want to read that book. Give me the Gospel of John, uh, but not Hebrews, because it just is so rich with the, the information that's there. And as I begin to dig into it, dig into it, and, and have some people walk me through it and help me, it really began to open up, and I really, really began to enjoy this book. Here's what the writer does. He takes basically a threefold approach to the book. Chapters 1 through 6, he's going to try to motivate the readers uh, onto spiritual maturity, and he's going to do that. Here's the motivation. He's just going to tell them how great Jesus is. And though we know how great Jesus is, it's good to be reminded of it. And so in the first six chapters, he's going to tell them that Jesus is greater than the angels. He's going to tell them that Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than anyone and everything. Uh, Jesus is awesome. He's great. And if you'll just think about Jesus, it'll motivate you to want to love him and to want to serve him. And he spends six chapters doing that. And in the middle of the book, sort of the heart of the book, chapters 7 through 10, we don't really walk through those chapters. We sort of swim through them. We wade through them. As he begins to describe to us the ministry of Jesus as our high priest. Now he prays for us and how the prayers of Jesus make our sanctification possible. And it all is what Jesus has done for us. And in the last chapters, chapters 11 through 13, very practical, he just challenges them, knowing that Jesus is your motivator, knowing that Jesus is your great high priest, walk by faith and let your life make an impact for his honor and his glory. It's a great book. Scattered throughout this book are five, chap- five warning passages, five exhortations. Did you ever get warned as a kid? Did you ever have your mom or dad say, no, that's, that's, the, that's the only warning you're going to get, right? Well, this book gives us five of them, and all of them are, are geared around growing and going for Jesus, and if you don't, there's chastening. And then as you sort of work through those, the writer stops for a moment and gives us a purpose statement, the reason he writes it. So we're going to look at that first, and we'll turn back to chapter 4. In chapter number 6, he gives us the purpose. Why is he writing this book? Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let me clarify what he means here. He's not saying abandon them. He's not saying, all right, I want you to just become apostate and just forget everything that you've ever learned about Jesus. It's not, it's not abandonment. It's leaving as in the sense of going beyond. It's like, okay, we've laid this foundation. Let's go on. Perhaps this illustration will help you get it in your mind. When you start kindergarten, uh, you learn a little song. It's to the tune of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And it goes... A, B, C, T. Remember that song? E, F, G, right? And we learned the alphabet song. And our teachers review it, and they hit it with us. And it's like every single day. But when you get into college and you're paying a lot of money for your classes, you really don't expect the teacher to say, all right, class, it's time for our alphabet today. You expect by that stage to go beyond that. And that's what the writer's saying here. You've learned all the alphabets. You've learned the basics. You've got what you need. Let's go beyond that, and let's go on to perfection. Let us go on unto perfection. Not laying in the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So here's the, here's the whole purpose of the book. He's writing to a group of people, and he's challenging them to do one thing. Go on to perfection. We could call that word spiritual maturity. We could say it this way. It's time to grow up. I can remember sometimes my dad or my mom saying to me, Mike, why don't you just grow up? I was a smart aleck kid, and I had a little bit of a sass that got me in trouble. 
And I'd look at them and say, I'm trying, but my family is vertically challenged. <laughs> and that wasn't what they wanted to hear. My dad's five foot six, five foot seven. My mom is four foot eleven. And I really wanted to grow up, uh, but it wasn't uh, in the deck, so to speak. Uh, just not a very big family. My grandmother was right at four foot ten, four foot eleven. Uh, all my aunts were that way. My uncles were all under six foot. And as a kid, I thought I was going to be the exception. I was going to get to be Mike Moyer's height and play in the NBA. But after a while, that didn't become, that became obvious that that wasn't going to happen. And I sort of became to idolize Spud Webb, if you remember him from the 80s and 90s, a NBA player who was like five foot four. And I said, if he can do it, I can do it. I couldn't do it, as you heard from the story when he introduced me. Uh, basketball was not my calling, okay? Time to grow up. I want you to notice as we jump into the text this morning in chapter number four that the people the writer is addressing in chapter number five, he says, you've been saved long enough that you should be a teacher. You've been saved long enough that you should be teaching others. You don't need to be being taught again and again. You've been saved long enough that we should expect spiritual growth, and I'm not seeing it. By way of introduction, maybe by way of illustration, a few months ago, it was evening time, it was bedtime, my wife and I were getting ready to go to bed, and, and something caught my attention as I was sort of putting up my devices, and, and uh, then it caught my wife's attention, and we spent the next 45 minutes watching this documentary. We didn't plan to, we're not normally documentary type people, but this one just it sort of got our attention, and we watched all of it. And it starts out, here's the camera, the camera pans on a playground in Australia, and there, a single mom is there pushing her son in the swing set. He looks to be about 12, and you're like, oh, this is going to be a story about a mom who loves her son and, and is raising him against all adversity, and you're just excited to see the story. And I'm ready to turn it off because I've seen that story over and over again. That's, a, it's a, that's, that's the world we live in. So it's not, it's not unnorm, abnormal. That sort of happens every day. And so I was like, I was ready to turn it off. But then, yet, then the narrator comes on, Meek, meet Nick Freeman. Nick was born in 1970. You're like, he's not 12. Nick Freeman is in his 50s. But he has the body of a 12-year-old. It's a strange syndrome. They, they don't even have a name for it. They call it Syndrome X. His body didn't grow. And his mom's out there pushing him. From a distance, you think he's a 12-year-old. He's not. He's in his 50s. Then they transition to Montana. And you see this mom pushing the stroller, and, and inside's a little toddler, and the older siblings are there playing with her, and, and uh, sort of a just happy family. Everybody's laughing, and, and the baby's in the stroller, and, and you think these older siblings are there. They're not older siblings. They're all younger. It's not an infant. She's in her 20s, just not growing. Syndrome X. When I watched that documentary, it confirmed something. I, I thought maybe I had a faulty memory uh, from my childhood. When I was 16 or 17, I surrendered to preach, and my dad was sort of taking me under his wing. My dad's a pastor in Georgia, and he said, Mike, I'm going to take you. We're going to go to the funeral home today, and we're going to visit a family there from our church who's just lost a loved one, and, and it's going to be sensitive. You, you, you don't go in. You're not going to be laughing or joking. Uh, you're not even going to say anything. You just follow me and do what I do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Got it. We'll greet the people, and... And then we'll maybe go grab a burger or ice cream or something like that. So we're working our way through the crowd, and we're greeting people. And my dad's praying with different people. And then we get up to the, the family members there who've just lost a loved one. He's trying to encourage them. And we're there for probably an hour or so, and it's time to leave. We're going to walk out. And as we're getting ready to walk out, on the other parlor, on the other side of the hallway, a lot of crying, a lot of wailing going on. And, 
We don't know that family, but my dad says, Mike, now as preachers, as, as pastors, and as people who, who've been called to ministry, it's our job to meet needs. And, and here's an opportunity where there's obvious a need, and let's go see if we can help. Yes, sir. So again, we walk through the crowd. We're just meeting people. We're praying with people. We're offering assistance and encouragement. We finally get up to the front, and at the front, there's a small casket there, and we're meeting the family. And, and so we ask them the obvious question, how old was your baby? And, and it was sort of a, a shock. Uh, our son was 18 years old. For 18 years old, we've just sort of held him and nourished him and loved him and fed him, but he, he's never grown. The doctors don't know why. He wasn't really supposed to live this long, but we've just grateful for the time that we had. And you walk out of a funeral home like that with a fresh perspective that you have a lot to be grateful for. As I've thought about the Nick Freemans and the the Gabbies of Montana and that baby in Georgia, as I think about that, I've often thought about the fact that sometimes that mental picture describes a lot of people sitting in our churches today. If you look at the age, they've been saved for a long time, but if you look at the growth, it's not always equal. Spiritual growth isn't measured by how long we've been saved. Spiritual maturity isn't measured just by years. You can be saved for a long time and be spiritually immature. And so the writer today is encouraging us to understand that it's time to grow on to perfection, spiritual maturity, to to grow up, if you will. Before he tells us how, he tells us how we don't do it. In chapter number 7, he reminds us that just keeping the law isn't the way to go to maturity. In other words, don't just make a list and say, if I do this, 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 and this, and I obey everything in the Bible, then I will automatically become mature. Uh, It's not self-effort. In chapter number 10, he says, offering sacrifices again and again doesn't help you become spiritually mature. It's not necessarily measured by what you do for me. It doesn't start with the actions. It starts internally with our response to the Word of God and our acceptance and understanding of what Jesus has done for us at Calvary and what he's doing for us right now at the Father's right hand praying for us. And so we come to chapter number four, our text. A little bit of a background. I'd love to spend more time giving you a background, but lunch is calling as well. So we're going to jump into chapter number four, and we'll see if we can learn some truths here. Our responsibilities to go on to spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. Now, when I was 15 or 16, I stopped growing physically. Stopped growing. I didn't want to. I kept praying for a miracle. God, one more growth spurt. Dear Lord. Uh, and I, and I, I'd, I'd look online and see if I could find things, how to increase your height, and none of it worked. I even thought about buying platform shoes. My parents discouraged that. I, I was desperate to try to just get a few more inches there. Physically, I've stopped growing, at least this way. Uh, I have to watch other, other directions, but I'm, I've stopped growing this way. Here's the good news. Spiritually, you never have to stop growing. It isn't like, well, I've been saved for 15 years. That's as much as I'm going to grow. Nope, we can, keep, we can lead today closer to God than when we walked in here. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal? And so this morning in chapter number 4, there are four phrases that sort of encapsulate, that sort of sum up our responsibilities to go into maturity. Look at verse number 1 with me. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. All four of these statements are going to start with that little word, let us. Verse number one, let us therefore fear. Let me describe a little bit about this little word, let us. It sounds really nice. 
It sounds really polite. It sounds almost like there's an option to it. It's not really optional. It's sort of like when you were living at home and your dad said something like this, hey, why don't you take out the trash? Sounds nice. It even sounds like he's asking for a response, like why you don't want to take out the trash. But I assure you that's not what he's asking. It's more of a polite way to say, hey, why don't you take the trash out now? Uh, And it's not really an option. It's a command. It just sounds nicer, okay? That's what these are. These are polite requests that are really commands, and so to disobey the commands is to disobey the Word of God. And that brings chastening to our life. So here's the command. We need to have a healthy fear of God. In other words, we are to fear God more than men and more than failure. Fear God. I'm not talking about waking up trembling. Oh, no, God is up in heaven and he wants to throw lightning bolts at me. No, that's not the fear I'm talking about. The fear I'm talking about here is a healthy respect and awe for the one who created you. I'm 48, almost 49. I'm almost old enough for your senior activity. Just a few more years. I may come back for that. When I said 55, 55, that sounds too young to be senior citizens. I start getting these things in the mail from AARP and it's like, come on, that's a cruel joke, whoever's sending those to me, right? I'm not there yet, Uh, but I'm getting close. And I think about this idea of, of being almost 50 next year, even though I'm 48, next year, the calendar year, I'll turn 50. But I still have a healthy respect and fear of my mother who's in her 70s. She'll just hit me. She'll just say, Michael, I have a healthy fear. I don't want to upset mom, you know. Healthy fear. The idea here is in the sense of, If I am afraid of men more than I'm afraid of God, that ensnares me. And it'll keep me from doing what God wants. Because I'll always be checking before I make a decision, what does this person think? What does this person think? What does this person think? When I should be asking, what does the Bible say? Having a fear for God and a respect for God. The fear of man brings a snare. And the fear of failure, it limits our walk by faith. I'll tell you what's easy after 26 years in one place is to go on autopilot. Today I'm going to get up. Today I'm going to go to the office. Today I'm going to tell my secretaries, if Rich Sidlowski calls, put him on hold. Every day I said that. (laughs) All right? There's sort of a routine to it. All right, now the fall classes are starting. Here's the classes I've taught. All right, now the spring classes. Here's the classes I've taught. Oh, now here's the summer classes. Here's the classes I've taught. And it's easy to get in a routine. And, and, And even while you're in the ministry, you're walking by sight. It's an easy trap. I was telling the first service this morning, we're about to leave, uh, and we're going to take an 11- or 12-day trip across country. We're in no hurry. Uh, in the past, you know, it's been part of our vacation. We've got to get there as quick as we can so we can spend time with family. Uh, but now, uh, <laughs> and that's not the pressure. And so I'm taking an 11- or 12-day trip, no big hurry, driving across country. And then when we get there, there's not a job sitting there saying, all right, Mike, as soon as you get here on day one, boom. People ask, what are you going to do when you get there? I'm going to rest. What else are you going to do? I'm going to eat. All right, what else are you going to do? I'm going to see family. All right, but, but what I'm talking about is, what are you doing for a vocation? I don't really know yet. And it's sort of exciting, because that means I'm taking this step by faith, and I'm waiting for God to show the next step. And, 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 and so it's a genuine step of faith, step by step. It's sort of exciting. That's what we did 26 years ago when we moved from Georgia to California. And I don't want to get into the routine where everything is just by sight. And I have to worry about what men think and I have to worry about failure. No, I want to step out and still see God do 
great things. And the way to do that is to have a fear for him and nothing else. Another way to look at this fear is to say you can't be casual in the Christian life. We live in a pretty casual society. And some people have the mentality toward the Christian life, que sera, sera, whatever happens is going to happen, I'll just go with it. And what the Bible is telling us instead is to live with intentionality. The attitude that he's after is an attitude of respect, fear, intentionality, if we want to go into spiritual maturity. Not if we just want to be able to one who says, I've been saved for 40 years. Okay, fine. But the question isn't how long have you been saved. The question is, how are you growing in your spiritual walk with the Lord? And so the first step for us, our responsibility, let us fear God. Look at step number two in verse number 11. In verse number 11, the writer says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. And I, I, to be honest, as I read that verse, my mind says, Why would I labor to rest? Why don't I just skip the labor and get right to the rest part? You know, why would I work to rest when I could just skip that and just rest? Sunday afternoons at our house, is, we, we try to make Sunday a day of rest. And so we have this time after dinner when it's heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. And the nap time comes. Our kids, I don't think they take naps, but there was a period of time when you're younger, you take these naps, and then you go into rebellion, and you don't want naps, and then you get to that stage at the end, and you're like, ah, naps are good. That's where I'm at right now. I like naps. It's a day of rest. But I don't work all day Sunday just so I can rest. It's like, hey, you know, turn the lights off and lay down. It's all good. I just skip the work part. So I've read this verse, and I'm like, why do we labor to rest? Why don't we skip that and just rest? And then I read the rest of it. Let us labor. Therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So I'm going to labor so that I won't have unbelief in my life. Do you know it's possible for believers to deal with unbelief? Let me say it this way. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief, right? So sometimes in the Christian life, we have unbelieving believers. How's that for an oxymoron? Unbelieving believers. What does that mean? Well, by faith, they've trusted Christ as their Savior. They are believers. But when it comes to living the Christian life, they don't always trust God's word. They have this area of unbelief. Look at verse number 12. It's a verse we've often quoted. But when we quote it, we often quote it this way. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. What we skip is the very first word. For the word of God is quick and powerful. In other words, verse 12 is connected to verse 11. Let us labor to enter into that rest, lest we fall after the same example of unbelief, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Here's the idea. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If a believer is going to go on to spiritual maturity, if a believer is going to walk in faith, the only way he does that is by laboring in the word of God, because that's the, that's the cure for unbelief in a Christian's life laboring in the Word of God. So if step number one is fearing God more than fear or failure, then step number two is following God's Word to find rest. Following God's Word to find rest. Look, we live in a world today that is hectic, frenetic, anxious, busy, fast-paced. We want everything instant, and 30 seconds is too long. We want a more powerful microwave, so it'll cook this and save, we can shave a couple of seconds off, right? It's the world we live in. We go to fast food, and we expect it to actually be fast food. <laughs> it's a novel idea. That's the world we live in. Yesterday, uh, Jen and I drove down to uh, Old Town, San Diego to meet with some friends that uh, uh, we have uh, worked together at different projects, and 
uh, and different relationships there, and, and we would have a meal with them, and, and so I got, got a little bit of a later start, so I'm already a little anxious, and then there's so many people on the road, and then there's stop and go, and they're like, oh, oh, oh. So, so then it's like, okay, deep breaths, deep breaths, right? That's the world we live in, and here's what Jesus said. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. If we don't come to Jesus and we just drive on the freeways in California, we don't come away with rest. <laughs> we come away with rage. <laughs> right? First time I, I can remember seeing road rage on the freeways for the first time. I'm like, whoa, that guy's chasing that guy down. I'm like, whoa, okay, kids, we're just going to slow down over here and get in this lane. Right? Just yesterday, we, my wife and I were reading the news, and, and the road rage on one of the freeways, and a six-year-old uh, was hit by a bullet. Somebody shot in their car and died. That's the world we live in. And here's what God says. I want to help you see the world from my perspective, and I want to shape your thinking. And the way I'm going to shape your thinking is by having you spend time in my word. When I was in Bible college, I had a roommate uh, that took Old Testament survey and New Testament survey seven times, seven years. He took this particular class. There was a reason he took that class. It wasn't because he really loved the Old Testament, really loved the New Testament, wanted to keep getting the things he missed. The reason he retook it is because the assignment was if you have to read the Old Testament or the New Testament to pass that class, and if you don't read, you don't pass regardless of what your test scores were. And so he never finished the reading. And it wasn't because he didn't have time. At the foot of his bed, there was this trunk. We were roommates, and so we had this trunk, and inside this trunk were all of these comic books galore. guy loved comic books. He had all of them. I remember coming home from work one morning early. It was probably 5, 30, 6 o'clock. He was laying on the floor crying. And I immediately went into ministry. Mode. So here's an opportunity. God has given me an opportunity to meet someone's need. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to take the training you've been allowing me to get in these classes. And I'm going to, all right, let's see. What do I do in counseling? All right, first step. I've got to make sure I give them hope. All right. So I'm talking to him. Hey, man, it can't be that bad. What can I do to help? Tell me what, and, and you got to ask questions. you got to pull, pull it out of them. Get them talking. Let them tell you what's going on. And then you, then you give them verses. So give them hope. Uh, ask them questions. And then give them Bible verses. So I was going through the steps. I was making these mental checks for my class notes. And I was, I was excited that God, even though I worked all night, God had provided this opportunity. And I didn't want to miss it. I want to be a steward of the grace of God. I was just ready. And so I said, it can't be all that bad. I'm offering him hope. And I began to ask questions. Why, why are we crying, man? It's early in the morning. Why are we crying? You're not even normally up at this hour. Why are you crying? And I, I'll never forget what he said. He says, reading this morning, and I'm thinking of reading the Bible. I said, God's working in his life. I'm still like, this is awesome. I was reading this morning. I said, yes, yes. And then he said those magic words in my comic book. Ah, ah, ah. All right. This isn't going where I thought it was going. And I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. I said, what, what happened? Superman died. And there he was, on the floor, crying, reading a, a comic book, uh, and reading that Superman died, and his life was shattered. And I said, hey, you know, maybe we should close the book, open up another book, and we can read about someone who died there, but it doesn't stop. He rises again. And, and, and in fact, you can actually get credit for reading that book, <laughs> that book, and you can actually not take this class again and again and again. I don't ever know what happened to him. But I know for him, it was work to get into the Word of God. For some people, it's easier than others. Sometimes I hear these stories. I ask my wife, do you remember the last time you, you missed your Bible reading? Yes, it was 67 years ago. I just got busy that day. I'm like, whoa, okay, okay, different, uh, different world, different mentality. And other people, it's really, really work. 
when I was in Bible college, I hadn't developed that habit of reading the Bible every day. And so you know, we had a chapel speaker come in and said, you need an accountability partner. I said, all right, I'll do that. And so I began to ask this guy, hey, would you be my accountability partner and ask me and keep me accountable in my Bible? Reading? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, amen. We're brothers in Christ. They asked me one time and done. All right. So I'd go to someone else. Hey, man, uh, could you just maybe do me a favor, help keep me accountable? I'd love to. Yeah, Mike, that's what brothers are for. They asked me one time, done. One day I asked this guy named John, John Pinchak. He had the nickname the Christian Nightmare. That was his nickname. He was about six foot four, red hair, and he, and he had a little bit of a temper that he was trying to let the Lord get victory with him. Uh, and they called him the Christian Nightmare. But I knew John read his Bible every day. And so I asked John, would he help me with that? And uh, John... He, he took that as a calling, like a little more than I wanted him to. Be changing classes, I'd be in the hallway, and, and, and John, because he's six foot four, six foot five, could see over everybody, and, hey, oh, Mike, Mike, I've been looking for you. Middle of the crowd. Hey, John. Mike, I got a question for you. Not here, John, not here. Please don't ask. I know what, don't ask me, John. Mike, did you read your Bible today? Not this morning. I was going to read it later. You haven't read your Bible yet? Brother, you're in a Bible college. Let's step outside here on this deck here. We'll step out here, and we've got seven minutes till the classes change until the next one starts. You may not get much, but get something, and I'll guard the door. <laughs> okay. Next day, I'm hiding now from John. I'm trying to use my height or lack thereof to my advantage. I'm trying to hide in the crowd, and, you, and I can see him, and he's scanning. Oh, Mike! Mike, how you doing, Mike? Good, good, John. Mike, got a question for you. No, you don't. No, don't, no. Lord, even so, come quickly. Now's a great time for the rapture. And John goes, Mike, have you read your Bible today? Oh, that's a no. That's a no. Mike, come on out here. <laughs> we got seven minutes, you know. One day, though, John asked me, yes, sir, John, this morning I spent some time in the book of Psalms. That's awesome. Tell me what you learned. I didn't ask you that. That wasn't part of this deal. Your deal was just to ask me if I read. I read. Now, Mike, you don't remember what you read? It was in the Psalms. What chapter? John, I worked all night. Mike, we don't read the Bible just to have a check mark. We got to get from God's word something. Let's sit out here, even though you've read it this morning, read it again and tell me what you learned. Wow, John, you're like militant. You need to, you need to, you need to start dating. That's what you need. You need to start dating so your, your attention is distracted and you'll leave me alone. Lord, give John a perfect wife. You know, it's like, my prayers changed for John. But then the day came when John said, Did you read? Yeah, what'd you read? This. What'd you learn? I learned this about God. Mike, that's awesome. And I said, Okay, he's going to leave me alone. The next day, I said, John's not going to ask, so I skipped. Hey, Mike! Hey, John! Read your... Mike! Out we go. Seven minutes, you know, that whole story. But knowing someone was going to ask me, that habit began to develop. I don't know how many times I've read the Bible through now. Uh, 50 times, 60 times, I don't know. I've read the Bible through. And sometimes people go, wow, how do you do that? Well, I can tell you how. Started back in college with a Christian nightmare asking me, have you read your Bible? Because John understood the importance. I needed to labor in the word of God so that I wouldn't fall trapped in unbelief. And I would see the world as God sees it. I would think like God thought. And it would help me to have the right worldview so that I could minister in a world that's lost and needing Christ. And so if I want to go into spiritual maturity, I've got to fear God more than men are failure. I've got to follow God's word so I can find the rest he has for me. Thirdly, in verse 14... Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus, that's passing into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our professions. Number one, we fear God more than men are failure. Number two, we, we follow God's word to find rest. Number three, we fasten hold to a 
good testimony. This idea of profession, it's sort of a two-edged a two sword. One of it deals with having a good name and holding on to that. The other half of it is holding on to what you've been taught and what you believe and what your biblical convictions are, and don't let anybody take that from you. The biblical foundation that our country was founded upon, if you haven't noticed, is slowly being eroded. And what you used to see as what the world taught, now you see men behind pulpits echoing what was the unbeliever's position 50 years ago. It used to be if a man was stumbling down a street with a plastic bag and a bottle in it, that man's a drunk. And then we softened it, that man's an alcoholic. Then we softened it more, that, that man has a disease, sort of softening it. And uh, I, I get it. My granddad died as an alcoholic. Uh, when my, uh, my granddad and grandmother were married for, I think, 20-plus years, seven children, uh, my granddad was active in church, and then one day somebody gave him a drink, and he got addicted to it. He kept drinking, and one day my grandmother drew the line and said, all right, it's, it's me and the family, or it's the bottle, and he chose the bottle. And they separated, never divorced. They separated for all those years. Every Christmas, my dad would go into the apartment. We never knew why, but he'd always go and say, let me go see if Grandpa's ready to see you on Christmas morning. And sometimes he'd come out and say, hey, he's ready. Let's go in. And sometimes he'd say, you know what? Grandpa needs a little more time. We're going to go see Grandma first. And we'll come back and see what, he was, what I didn't know at the time was my granddad was drunk. And my dad was trying to help him get sobered up so we'd come back and see the kids. I understand it. But here's the idea. If I am going to go into spiritual maturity, I've got to see the world through the lens of the Bible. I've got to hold fast to that. And what God calls good, I've got to call good. And what the Bible calls evil, I've got to call evil. I've got to hold fast to that. I'm going to buy the truth. It's not for sale. Buy the truth. Sell it not. I've got to hold fast to these convictions that are in the Word of God. And then I've got to hold on to my name. The book of Proverbs says a good name is rather be chosen than great riches. As a teenager, if you'd have given me a choice between a great name and riches, I probably would have taken the riches. But after years of reflection, you really can't put a value on a good name. When uh, I was a teenager, I was the only son. My dad would say, Mike, you're the end of the line for the Lesters. <laughs> you're the last Lester. Unless you have a son, you're the, right now, you're the last Lester. Uh, this branch of the family tree will die with you. You're going to be what the world remembers with that name. Don't disgrace the name. Then we had five daughters, and it really was the end, of the end of the branch, right? And my dad would say things like, Mike, you're a Lester. Lesters don't do that. They don't say that. They don't think that way. That name's got to mean something to you. And he drove that home. And years later, he would say, now, Mike, I tried to give you that name Lester. I tried to make it a good name so that you could not be ashamed of it. But there's another name each of us have as well. It's the name of Christ. And we want to hold fast to that profession. Because I will not be spiritually mature if I am throwing away the name of Christ. So I've got to fear God. I've got to follow his word. I've got to hold fast to this profession. And finally, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In our pride, we don't want to admit we have needs. We've got it all together. I don't need anything. How you doing? Here's our standard answer in our Christian churches. How you doing today? Fine. Liar. <laughs> We're not fine. We just don't want to get into it. We all have needs. Everyone. You don't know what the person sitting beside you this morning has gone through this week. We all have needs. Here's the good news. When we come boldly to the throne of grace, God has grace and mercy to help us 
in our need. Over the last year, it's been easy to develop a scarcity mentality with COVID, right? You go to the store and you just have your fingers crossed. Remember those early days when everybody was buying all the toilet paper? And you'd go there and all the toilet paper was going, oh, then you go to the next door. They're all gone. And then, then they started limiting. You'd have this many and this much water. There was a scarcity mentality. And now people are talking about gas. You know, oh, there's not going to be enough gas. And, and so there's a scarcity mentality. Sometimes we're not careful. We translate that onto the Lord and we think, I wonder if he, I wonder if he has enough grace for me. I wonder if he has any mercy left for me. Good news, he does. He has abundant supply for all of us to come boldly. We don't come timidly. We don't come fearfully. We come boldly to the throne of grace. I'm glad it's a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment. I'm glad I don't have to go with my head down, ashamed. And If you'll just help me one more time, I promise. It's not just let's make a deal. I'm able to come boldly to my heavenly Father. Lord, I need some grace. I'm I'm coming for some grace. I have needs, and I need your mercy, and I need your grace. And God meets that need every time. Do you remember when you were a kid how you had a little more boldness at times? When I was four, my sister was two. It was Christmas time. And my parents, my mom, had made for us capes. Had a Superman cape. And so I wore it. They could never take it off of me. And my sister got a Batgirl cape. So she had Batgirl, and I had Superman. And a four-year-old, the thinking patterns aren't fully developed yet. And I thought, because I had the cape, I could fly. I really believed that. So we went to my uncle's house for Christmas. My uncle had a nice Spanish type of a, it was a mansion on several acres. And if you went outside by the pool, you could go up on this hillside and climb on this retaining wall that was there to keep the dirt from coming into the pool. And so I climbed up there with my sister. We climbed on that wall. And I said, now that we have our capes on, we can fly. She's two. I'm four. I said, well, we'll hold hands because I want to help you. And, and honestly, I wasn't trying to trick my sister into breaking her leg on a concrete fall. I really thought we could fly. So we counted to three. I said, now make sure your cape is on tight. We don't want to fall off as we go down because then we can't fly. And so we jumped, and we began our flight and our descent. <laughs> I learned something at four years old. I can't fly. No magical power in that cape. I can't fly. But I had courage. <laughs> it was just misplaced. What we have today is the ability to not have misplaced courage, but courage in the Word of God and courage at God's throne to come there boldly. And God has grace for us. You need grace? God has it. As I think about Hebrews chapter number 4 and this whole book of going on to spiritual maturity and spiritual growth, sometimes people say, why does it matter? A few years ago, maybe, maybe a decade ago now, I can't remember, I wanted to connect with my roots from Georgia. And so at our house, we planted two peach trees. From Georgia, I like peaches. So we planted these two peach trees. I dug the holes out. Got a little digger there to make it even easier, and, and it came back out. Put a nice little hole there, put the trees down, fertilized it, made sprinklers, made sure sprinkles were there so it had water. Uh, so it had fertilizer, it had sprinklers, and it had my TLC. Just like my granddad had taught me with all his peach trees, I was going to come and make sure that these peaches were going to happen. They would, it was going to be a great memory. You know what I focused on? I focused on the health of the tree. 
And as long as I focused on the health of the tree, two things happened automatically. It grew and it bore fruit. As Christians, if we'll take the time to focus on the health of our soul, then two things will happen automatically. We'll grow and we'll bear fruit. That's what God has commanded us to do. That's his goal for our life. So I challenge this morning, let's not stop growing. It's that picture of Nick Freeman as a 50-year-old in a swing describes your spiritual life. The good news is we could start growing today and never stop till Jesus comes back. Let's pray. Lord, as we think about these simple truths from the book of Hebrews, we're grateful, first of all, that you have done the work that's made justification possible. You've died on a cross for us. We're thankful, Lord, that you've done the work that makes sanctification possible. You're there at the Father's right hand praying for us and applying your work to our account. Yet, Lord, we know that there's some human responsibility as well. We have the instructions. We have to put it into practice. And I pray today in this congregation you would help us to take the next step forward. Help us not to be lazy to walk by sight. Help us to walk by faith and continue growing in our understanding of the Word of God and our understanding of you. Help us to be spiritually mature believers. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I invite you to stand with me for a moment. We'll get ready to conclude this service. I thank you for the way you've listened. This morning I have preached primarily to believers. And I've challenged us with the area of sanctification, spiritual growth, maturity. But before we can ever experience spiritual growth, there has to be a spiritual birth. On August 17, 1972, I was born into this world. No growth took place before that, as far as when I'm counting time. There had to be birth first. So this morning, perhaps you're here, and you don't have a spiritual birthday. Maybe you don't know for sure that heaven's your home. You're not experiencing spiritual growth because you haven't had a spiritual new birth. If you're here and you say, I I just don't know for sure if I died, I'm going to heaven. I'd love to pray for you. In fact, there's people here at this church who'd love to take a Bible and and show you how you could settle that. I won't embarrass you. I won't come to you. But if you're here this morning and say, hey, Mike, would you, would you pray for me? I don't know for sure that I'm a spiritual believer. I don't know for sure I'm a Christian. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. If you'd, if you'd raise your hand and hold it while no one's looking, I'd be happy to pray for you. Anyone like that this morning? Mike, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. How about this morning, believers, and you say, you know, I've been saved for a long time, and I don't know that I have grown the way God has intended for me to grow. And this morning, I've been challenged to care for the health of my soul and to continue growing as a Christian. Would you pray that I not stop that? Here this morning, you've been challenged to grow as a Christian. Could I pray with you in that decision? Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. See those hands? Yeah, yeah. That's me as well. We never want to stop growing. I'm going to pray, and we'll have a verse play on the piano. If you need to make some decisions this morning and settle with the Lord, I'm going to invite you to this altar or maybe even there at your seat. We'll pray and then I'll have Pastor Rich come and conclude our service. Lord, thank you for the way that these people have listened this morning. Nothing new this morning, Lord. Just a reminder. A reminder that we need to always keep believing and always keep growing. And Lord, whatever step we need to take today, help us to take that next step. We'll thank you for it. As the piano plays, if you need to make a decision for the Lord this morning, I invite you to come right now.
your heads bowed and eyes closed. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, if this, this morning maybe you've never, never received Christ, whether you're in this auditorium or listening online, he loves you today. He died upon the cross for your sins. He rose again the third day. He's alive forevermore. If you're here or listening online and you'd like to receive Jesus Christ, it's simply opening your heart to him, understanding that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's nobody's perfect. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That word death talks about the second death, hell forever and ever. The wages of sin is death, is hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He died for your sins so you could have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son whosoever believeth in him should not perish, die and go to hell, but have everlasting life. If you'd like to receive that eternal life, open your heart to Jesus. I'd like to lead you in a short, simple prayer. And you just open your heart to him and accept him into your heart and life. Pray this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I would be lost without you. I'm asking you now to come into my heart and save me. Forgive me of my sins. The best I know how I receive Jesus Christ, I receive you into my heart. I trust in the blood that you shed upon the cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me, for dying for me, and for giving me eternal life. I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. It's a short, simple prayer. It's God's simple plan of salvation. It wasn't simple for Jesus. He suffered, he bled, and he died. And if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to talk to you after the service. Um, if, you, if you prayed that prayer uh, online, uh, contact the church. We'd love to help you grow in the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we're thankful for this time of year, for all that's going on in Calvary Christian School, the kids' lives. And Mark Angelo is here this morning. He graduated from high school this week. Let's give him a round of applause. He went to Pensacola Christian College, or Pensacola Christian Academy. So he finished his schooling, high school, and got credits for college also. And so I'm just thankful for Mark Angelo, his family, and just proud of him. And I know that uh, God has a great plan for him in his life, and just thankful for that. So God bless you and welcome. Don't forget all the events we have coming up in our church, in our school. We're excited about the day, the, the weeks to come, and so you pray for one another. Um, Brother Mike, if you would go to the back there. Do pray for the Lesters. Jenna, if you would join them there. And uh, as they move forward, thankful for the impact. I think 26 years of teaching Bible college students. 
the thousands upon thousands of students that he taught that are out there serving God and using the Bible knowledge that, uh, that they learned and um, pray for them. And we know God's got great, great plans for them. Now, what about us? You see, we're just here. We just learned a few things this morning to help us. You've got to go do it, though. Get into the Word of God. Pray. Read your Bible. And grow. Because life is changing. You're at different stages of life. And uh, different challenges. We need to see life through a biblical view. Through the Bible's view. Not through the worldly view. Not through our own view. And grow in our faith. So when we face things that we don't understand, what we do understand is the Bible. And that God's in control of all things and we trust him. Amen? So be praying for one another. Lift each other up to the Lord. The Bible says iron sharpeneth iron. And we're here to encourage each other today. It's good to see Jay and Marlene here this morning. It's been a while since they've been to church. And just had some, have had some physical challenges. You pray for them. Pray for one another. Again, and continue to pray for Brother Davis, who's in the hospital in Redlands. Uh, pray for him. Pray for Margaret Hawk as she's recovering at home. And just uh, uh, Earl, Earl Johnson had surgery this week. Uh, lift him up to the Lord in prayer. And Lynn Davis, these folks that, uh, that just have great needs. So thank you for all that uh, uh, you do for the Lord's work. Those of you that teach Sunday school, our children's church workers, be sure and thank them. And, uh, and just uh, pray for one another. Lift each other up. i got to tell you, the best days in your life are yet to come. Amen? As you follow this book. Because we got the book. Is the world going a little crazy? We're not. We just believe the Bible, don't we? We've got, you know, God's got things under control. And I'm just thankful for the word of God. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that guides us. Brother Theo, would you come and... Close us in prayer. The the uh, high schoolers went on their trip, uh, spring formal, and uh, Brother Theo, Mrs. Rule, did a great job organizing that. Just had a great job of fellowship. Brother Sammy from uh, is it Liberty ba Liberty Baptist in uh, Newport. Newport Beach preached on that boat, and he's a loud preacher. They heard the gospel on the whole bay. But there was nine people working on that boat. They all heard the gospel. I think it was Theo that told me, shared that after it was over, they had a security guard on the boat. One of the staff members said, boy, that was the easiest job for this security, this security guard. These were nice kids. You know, you take Jesus and put him into children and young people. And they're not perfect, but they know how to behave. Amen. So thank you, Theo, for the work this week. Thank you, staff. And we're just looking forward to all that God has for us as we carry on. And um, as we leave this morning, if you'd like to give a gift to the Lesters as they go, um, there's an there's a envelope in the pew. Just put your name on it. If you'd like to have a, a giving record of it, put for the Lesters. It's a love offering. And just put it one of the plates. And we'll be sure that they get that uh, to help them. We have, we have between 15 and 20 graduates of West Coast Baptist College here teaching in our school. 
and also that attend church here. And so he taught many of them, well, taught all of them. They don't remember anything he said, but he taught them all, you know. And uh, so he's invested in this church, you understand? He taught them. He studied. He taught them the lessons. So our church is impacted by his ministry and will continue to do so. And so if you, if you have, if God leads you and you have, you're able, you can leave a love offering there. Thank you, Theo. Close us in prayer, please. All right, let's pray.